Before we jump into today's podcast, I want to let you know about a really exciting opportunity. I will be teaching a webinar for the Landscape Expo in June, and it is all about process and productivity and profitability. I would love for you to join me on it. There is a link on my website to get to the sign up. Signups are already open. It's June 15th. And if you go to kismetdesignco.com and click on courses, you will see that opportunity. So please join me. That would be great. Hey, Chrissy here. I am a landscape architect and the owner of Kismet Design. I am a very process-driven designer, and I love sharing what I do and how I do it with anyone who's interested. Reaching your true potential and achieving your own personal goals will not happen by chance. You have to set your intentions, make a plan, and do the work. Thank you for joining me to nerd out on design. Don't forget to subscribe and to share too. Let's create something great together. I was so excited to get the opportunity to chat with Lisa Nunemaker. She is a landscape architect and teacher, and I love her work. All of it is just super inspiring, absolutely beautiful, and getting to chat with her and getting to know her better, I love it all even more. I hope that you feel the same. A couple of the things that we talk about in this conversation that I think are really great is her perspective on empowering designers and taking things in bite-sized chunks to really learn and grow and build confidence. And if you have a chance, please look at her website. I will put a link in the show notes. Um, She has amazing graphics and a lot of class offerings, which are great. And one of the things that I really want to make sure to highlight that we talked about in this conversation was how to find your voice as a designer. And I think it's really great. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, thank you, Lisa, so much for joining me. And um, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. It is absolutely wonderful. And um, I thank you a lot. So before we dive in and talking about your teaching experience, um, I'd love it if you could tell me a little bit about how you got started in the landscape industry and what drew you to landscape architecture. Yes. And first of all, thank you for inviting me here today. I love your podcast and this you've served so many people well. So thank you for doing that. Um, how I got into the industry. So of course, I, I started many years ago. <laughs> I think it was in the late 80s is when I graduated from high school. And like many people probably that get led t- towards this profession, I loved being outside. We used to build forts in the woods. And I absolutely, there was something about creating spaces, you know, whether we were creating spaces, you know, outside in the woods or if we were, or I also had a lots of Barbies and I loved creating the spaces, whether, you know, for the houses or for the outdoor spaces for my Barbies too. And so I was infatuated with that whole idea of creating space. And my parents were not gardeners. My uh, 
my mom loved tomatoes. So we had a tomato plant or two and we had a mulberry tree in the front yard and that was about it. A lot of lawn. So I, I really didn't, um, get a lot of information from my parents on this profession. But as I went through high school, I, I knew what architects did because of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool because that sounds really neat to be an architect, but it, it wasn't quite what I had imagined in my head. And I remember in high school telling my high school counselor that I was interested in like planning outside or designing things outside, but I didn't know what that was. And he said, oh, that's civil engineering. You should go into civil engineering. And I'm like, that didn't sound right. I mean, it just didn't sound right. So when I applied to college, I applied to um, schools that had architecture for sure, because I knew that I wanted to do some kind of design. And then while I was researching Iowa State, I saw that I saw the term landscape architecture. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. And I didn't know what it was. And nobody could tell me because that was before the internet. And so when I applied to Iowa State, I actually put architecture and landscape architecture. So when I would go to orientation, I would learn about it. And yeah, when I went to orientation that summer, right before I started, I watched all the videos and all the things they had on landscape architecture. I'm like, that is exactly what I wanted to do, which is so crazy. So I got lucky. I was able to actually start in that program. I know a lot of people don't start in either horticulture or landscape design or landscape architecture. They usually find their way there later, but I just got lucky. And um, yeah, so that's how I started. And I loved every single minute. So I did get my degree at Iowa State in landscape architecture. And then I got my master's later after I started working full-time. I just got that bit by bit and eventually earned that also. But yeah, that's how I started. Just that love of plants and love of creating outdoor spaces you know, in my weird kind of way through Barbies, Legos and forts, which is kind of cool. I love it. I found landscape architecture very similarly, except for it was not until my freshman year because I was in the architecture program at WSU and we had a joint class called the built environment that was with landscape architects, um, construction management, interior design, all of us together learning how to collaborate and who did what pieces and, and how all of that goes. And I was like, landscape architecture. Wow. I was like, this is, this is a better fit. So is that the craziest? It's so weird. Cause we don't, my daughter and I were just talking about this and how you really aren't exposed to this profession. You, you know, our parents, a lot of parents garden or we do gardening or that, that kind of thing, but we don't see that translation into the design end of things. And it's interesting how we just kind of stumble Unless you know someone that's in the profession, yeah. I feel like a lot of us just stumble into it. Well, I feel like every kid knows what an architect is or, you know, at least of it or even engineering. And I think even interior design is much more mainstream. And part of that's yeah. probably TV programming, but landscape architecture, I think is still kind of this kind of hidden gem that a lot of people don't really know about. They see yeah, like the maintenance crews. And they see like construction crews, but they don't see the design behind it. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. I totally agree. Um, so I really loved school and loved learning. And I think all of us are lifelong learners, but there's something unique about the environment of learning in a college atmosphere. Do you find the same energy holds true being on the teaching end of the equation? I do. I love teaching and it is my in 
in the classroom experiences that have helped me understand what works and what doesn't work in, in terms of teaching. Because my, first of all, my students are, <laughs> I'm laughing now because I, I'm just thinking of my current group. They constantly are making me laugh and they are showing me things that I would never even imagine in terms of just being inspired. Their outlook on things is so different and they're learning of course too. And a lot of them have never had experiences in this profession. So they're learning from scratch. They have a really fresh perspective because of that. And so, yeah, as an instructor, I am just as inspired by them. Hopefully they're inspired by me, but I don't, I don't hopefully they are, uh, but I'm definitely inspired by them and by their energy and their excitement to learn. And they're just, again, they're different perspective on things. I mean, I have to admit the other things I pick up, their music, their like movies that they're interested in. I've, I found a lot of cool shows because of them. <laughs> and there's just something fun about having that connection to that age group my my own kids when they became that age it was really fun to be able to like oh my gosh my college students are now my kids age which is so weird but it's so fun because i i learn so much from them and i can then apply it whether it's technical whether it's like i said the arts whether it's music and it's just really cool but yeah it's definitely just as energetic for the for for me from my perspective as a teacher I learned just as much from them as hopefully they learned from me. I'm sure you probably look back on like some of your key professors that you remember and be like, oh, this is what they meant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I love like when the thing I really enjoy about teaching in the classroom is if they don't get something, a topic, I love that challenge of trying to figure out a different way of teaching it so they can understand it and it really helps me because I obviously, you know, we both, you too, probably we get so close to this profession. We don't always realize how close we are and we make a lot of assumptions, vocabulary or techniques or whatever it might be. We just talked about retaining those yesterday in class and a lot of them had never done that. They've never designed one. They've never <laughs> built one. And it's just fun. My perspective now on teaching that versus 20 years ago and they learned a lot in an hour. I was shocked, but it was fun. We had a little game at the end and they actually learned a lot, which is neat. Do you find that there's been like a, a demographic shift or even just like a, a shift in kind of how people are finding the, the program and interest in landscape architecture? Have you seen that change over time? That's a great question. So I, the trend that I see is more students will go to a community college first. And then when they're there, they realize that what they want to keep studying. So we have a lot of transfer students, but they're not that much older. There's, you know, we consider non-traditional not being high school. And I would say most of my students are still pretty young. They're still in their early twenties, late teens. My online students though, of course, are more non-traditional. They're usually probably more than 30 years old. Most of them, I have some younger in their twenties, but most of them are probably over 30. 40, 50. And, um, but for at the college level, the, the only, the main trend that I've seen is that I, I, I would say we have a lot more transfer students from community colleges, which is really cool because it, it really adds to our program because they're able to bring those perspectives from those instructors into our program, which is really nice. Do you and find... even though we're just, mm -hmm. Go ahead. 
Oh, you, you finished. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say, do you find, cause I know for my program that I went through, um, I had a couple transfer classes that came from high school. Um, but I, the few people that did transfer from a community college still had to do the same time span. They just didn't have as heavy of a workload because of the way that the classes were offered. It didn't take off two years out of your, you know, your university. It still was the same. Do you find that your program is structured so that that's the case or are people able to actually you know, buy themselves back some years? I am so glad you said that because I don't, I don't teach in a landscape architecture program. I teach in a horticulture program. Oh, that's right. So I'm yeah. glad we, I, I didn't even think about mentioning that. So I, I teach at Iowa State. So even though my degrees are in landscape architecture, I teach landscape design in the department of horticulture. So when our students transfer over, they're most, I, they're, we're not in like a design program, like, you know, like the landscape architecture program at Iowa State where you have to apply and then you still have another four years or four and a half years or whatever it might be. We are more science and plant-based. And so when they come in, they're actually bringing in the chemistry, the biology and all of that. So they don't have to take those classes anymore. So for us in the horticulture program, it actually does take off. It shaves off usually a couple of years in our program. And then they're just trying to catch up on the design classes right. at that point. But some of them actually have design classes too. It depends on what their program was in uh, their two-year program. If it was more chemistry, biology-based, they have to take design. But some of them do take their plant classes and some of their design classes so they can skip one or two. I'm glad we clarified that. I didn't even yeah. think about that. It I, is a little different. I, I knew that and I, I forgot. <laughs> I was just- well, I was, This is good. This is awesome because then people can see the difference. Because I have had students that- want to get a landscape architecture degree. They like they they're trying to decide should I stay in horticulture? Should I go over to LA? And because of what you said, we will often suggest if they're about two years into the program, we'll suggest finishing the hort degree and then getting a master's in landscape architecture because it would take them the same amount of time, probably about six years by the time they transfer over to LA because they have to apply to the program and then go through it versus they can just get a master's degree. Now they have a Hort and a right. an LA degree, which is kind of cool. So sometimes that happens, but we also have students coming the opposite direction and it's not as difficult of a shift, except for that hard chemistry and biology that they, <laughs> that they have to take. In yeah. Hort. <laughs> do you, do you find a lot of overlap of students between the, the two degrees? I do. So we have a minor in horticulture. A lot of landscape architecture students will get minors in hort, That's which fantastic. is really awesome. Yeah. So I get a lot of LA students that will take, I think they have to take maybe 15 credits or something like that in horticulture. So I do get a lot of LA students taking the plant classes and taking our my design classes because we do more residential focused in the horticulture department. So if they're interested in more residential design, then they can pick that up in our classes and we do more graphics classes where they don't have that in our LA program anymore at Iowa State. They did when I was in school, but now they teach the graphics within the studios. Okay. So sometimes I'll have LA students that'll just take the the graphics class with me. And then again they'll then they'll follow through with the residential design, which is really cool. I think that's fantastic to have that opportunity yeah. because like for me, I knew I wanted to do residential. Um, I mean, I wasn't hundred percent positive, but I was, you know, 85%. 
And Mm -hmm. the landscape architecture program was the sole responsibility for kind of covering all of that. And it's kind of two separate beasts. So it's nice to have the opportunity to know which direction you're going to go and be able to kind of start the focus in that direction instead of taking a bunch of community planning classes that you're not necessarily going to need. Exactly. And it's awesome. I, I really admire the students that graduate with their LA degree, with their minor in Hort, because they really have that advantage now to have that, that extra little degree kind of tagged on. And we're, we're pretty lucky. Our, our LA program and our Hort program work well together. I'm, I'm the instructor in Hort that has the LA degree. And then there's an instructor in the LA department that has a Hort degree. Oh, that's fantastic. She eventually eventually got her LA degree too, but it's, it's neat that we we kind of both graduated from the opposite programs and are in the other program now. So we work well together, which is really awesome. And I feel like the most LA programs, their weak spot is horticulture and there's not Mm -hmm not necessarily enough focus on that, especially for those that want to go into a residential sector um, where that is much more imperative. And so that's, that's really great to have that, have that partnership there. It really is nice. And our landscape architecture program has an awesome, the plant portion of it is focused more on plant communities and native plants, which is an awesome thing to have that as a focus, but then of course the horticulture program focuses more on ornamentals. So by, by the time you put those two together, it's a really great, it's a really strong mix of plants. Nice. Yeah. So when we were initially chatting about some topic ideas for today, um, we had talked about, um, you'd mentioned that you're really passionate about empowering designers and especially women. Tell mm-hmm. me some of the techniques that you use to do this. And I mm-hmm. think that to me, I think women is a separate sector, but also just, you know, younger generation that's still kind of at that like tipping point of, I don't know where I want to go with my life. Like that, um, finding that empowerment, I think is, is really important. Right. So for the empowerment part of it, I have definitely learned. So, you know, I worked with college students for the first, what, 10 years, like the last 10 years. And then I started teaching online and my online audience, of course, like I mentioned before, is it's mostly women. There's men in there too, but mostly women. And they're usually anywhere between age 30 and 60, age 30 and 70. I actually have someone that's 70 right now. And I've some of them have been practicing for years. Okay. And they just they're working with me because they want to update their graphics. But some of them are just pivoting into the profession. So this and this is their second, maybe even their third career. And now they're realizing, oh. I can design landscapes for other people. And this is really awesome. So because I'm, I have an online presence, of course, you know, they're, they're trying to get that education, however they can. Some, some of them are, are able to take it um, at a university and do online classes. And obviously some can't. So anyway, so my main course that I teach is my graphics class. And the big thing I of course notice is the confidence levels and not, I, I get a lot of emails before class starts that says, should I do this class? I'm not really good at drawing. I don't know if this is even going to help me. And I said, that's my specialty. I can help you with that. And what I've learned is that, so to empower is to let them know that they have the knowledge to be able to move forward and do some great things. So for instance, for graphics in particular, 
I like to teach things in bite-sized chunks. So we slowly build confidence as we kind of, you know, get in control of each of those skills. So I don't just say, here's a drawing, draw it. I remember when I was in school, we had some amazing graphics people visit Iowa State and they would do workshops with us. I was overwhelmed and scared to death. I don't think I even touched a marker for a year after that. I was like, I can't do that. So I always remember that. So when I teach online and I have to give my Iowa State students credit for this because I practice in the classroom, we do small, I first teach them, this is what a line weight is and let's master that first. And once you master that, you build a little bit of confidence, right? And then we go to the next thing and we build a little bit more confidence. So by building those that confidence level in levels or chunks, that helps someone realize, oh my gosh, I can do this versus just throwing a perspective drawing at them the first day and saying, good luck, good luck. And so that's number one. That's the, that's the biggest thing that I love to do is just give them that confidence and build it in levels. The other thing I love to do is to get over the whole perfection thing. So we're all perfectionists. And I don't want to say that we shouldn't strive for really great work. We should, but oftentimes that inhibits us from doing things. And so we talk a lot, especially in my graphics class, that it's your imperfections that make your work really cool. So okay, maybe you don't drop in perfect perspective. That's okay. I have some students that do like an Egyptian type thing where they're drawing in plain view and elevation at the same time. And they're kind of going back and forth. I'm like, is this wrong? I'm like, I understand it. I mean, a client would understand this. And honestly, it, it gives your drawings character. I love how this looks. So I, I I get concerned when we don't do something because we're concerned about it. You know, we don't do something because we're worried about not being perfect. So that's right right off the bat, we nail that in the bud <laughs> in class that I'm not perfect either. And even some of my videos that I do in class are not perfect. And I'm like, once once my dog hit my arm and the, and the ink went by and I'm like, I can edit that out but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. And we had the discussion about that. Sometimes if you try to cover something up, it makes it worse. So let's just keep going. So that's, so that's the other thing. Um, the other thing was, Oh, the other thing that I like to encourage everybody to is to voice their opinions and, and to embrace who they are. So we have a lot of obviously people that have never done design and they're learning about it now. And then we have, and then I have students that have been doing it for 20 years and they start, they are like, oh my gosh, I don't know as much as that person because they've been doing it for 20 years, but I highly encourage everybody to voice their opinions because if you were an accountant before, or if you were a fashion designer before, and now you're wanting to do design, you have that expertise now that can help all of us become better designers because your perspective is different. So we stress that a lot. So by encouraging everybody to, to voice their opinions and to know that they are an invaluable part of the group is really important to me. And I want them to know that. So that I want to empower them in that way to know that, because I've always been scared to voice my opinion in many, many, for many years. And I realized, well, why can't I just say what I'm thinking? People may not agree and that's okay, but our perspective is what's going to make the profession better. It's going to inspire somebody else in the group that we didn't know about. So 
even though we're not a professional or not an expert, I should say, in a certain field, it doesn't mean we can't offer a new perspective to that. So hopefully that makes sense. But that's yeah, one of the things absolutely. that I, I, yeah, that's one of the things I love the most is to encourage others to just say like, what are they thinking? And give me your thoughts on that because we, we like to be as inclusive as possible because again, all of our varied experiences is what makes the group, the community, the profession better place, which is really cool. I think part of like the, the stumbling block of perfection is losing sight that like the drawings that you're creating are, they don't have to be, it's a mix of like a, a document, like a construction document that an engineer or an architect would put together and like an artistic expression. So really like there's an artistry to it that I feel like sometimes is gets people in that mode of having like fraudy feelings of not being good enough or, you know, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but um, <laughs> the, the loss of the perspective that it it's partially art as well, I think is important. I agree. I agree. And we have that discussion a lot too, that, you know, the purpose of landscape graphics is to communicate our ideas to somebody else. So, you know, they can either install it or at least understand the space so they can give you feedback. And as long as it's clear, you know, my style is going to look different than your style and that's okay. You know, yeah. we don't want to all look the same. That's boring. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So when I went to college, I was only one of two women out of, I think there were 14 or 16 of us in the landscape architecture program for my class. Um, and that seemed to be kind of fairly consistent among the classes. There were one or two women. Um, and I know in the horticulture program, it was a little bit different. Um, but over the years of teaching, have you found that more women are finding their way into the program or do you still find that it's... So when I went to college, I was only one of two women out of, I think there were 14 or 16 of us in the landscape architecture program for my class. Um, and that seemed to be kind of fairly consistent among the classes. There were one or two women. Um, and I know in the horticulture program, it was a little bit different, um, but over the years of teaching, have you found that more women are finding their way into the program or do you still find that it's kind of male dominated? Oh, that's a great question. Like you, when I was in school, there was maybe 30 of us, maybe four of us were women in the landscape architecture program. I don't know what the LA program breakdown is now. I know I get a lot of women students taking my classes in horticulture, but I know in horticulture, it's usually 50-50 or recently I've been seeing more women in our classes. So within horticulture and landscape design, I tend to see more women in our program now. But that's interesting. I don't know what the breakdown is now in terms of, of LA. When did you graduate? Just curious. Um, I graduated in 2008. Okay. Wow. And then you were still in the minority. Yeah. That's really interesting. And even among, because I started in the architecture program, that that had a lot more women in it, but it was still very much male dominated. I think part of it is you know, just the industry seems to always have been male dominated. But when I went to school, the LA program was part of the egg science program. And so we were with horticulture and we were in the natural resource sciences program. And then since then they've moved that program into 
be in conjunction with architecture and construction management. So that may have changed the dynamic a little bit, but even, you know, the people that I get um, contacting me for internship opportunities and things like that seem to all be men. Very few, few and far between do I find women. So I, I find it interesting. Yeah. I know when I started working at my first job, I worked for facilities on Iowa State's campus as a landscape designer and our supervisor was a woman, but everybody else, everybody else were men. And I was very fortunate because she was always my role model. I didn't think anything of it, but until later, like, wow, I didn't realize that everybody, the contractors, the design build, you know, the, the crews, the, the other professionals that we would work with, you're right. They were all mostly men, but my supervisor was a woman. She was a landscape, a licensed landscape architect and she's still there. And she was a great mentor, you know, as, as someone just starting out, I'm like, this is really awesome to see her as a role model. And actually my second supervisor was also a woman, which is really kind of cool, but, but yeah, you're right. And within the profession itself, I was working more in a male dominated profession. Yeah. When I, when I first started out, one of my first jobs at a a larger company, same thing. I had my mentor was a male and he was fantastic. And he really did a lot to advocate for me. And then, um, the horticulturist in the office was female. And so we worked really closely together and she really you know, helped a lot in kind of helping me navigate kind of how to, how to, you know, make my opinions heard and how to kind of stand on my own in in that industry. And I think that that was really helpful. And I think it's helpful for people to see, see those people in those positions to, to see how, how, how it's done kind of thing. Yeah. And I agree with you. You know, it's interesting when I first started teaching construction um, at my current job many, many years ago, I was so nervous about it. So even though I I had a lot of experience in installing, you know, different types of things in the landscape, I I went through this weird phase of how should I be? Should I be more masculine when I teach this? Should I be? And then it's funny because I, I made the realization, I'm like, why can't I just be who I am? And I'm going to teach it with my feminine approach. And I wasn't sure if I would turn people off in that. And I did not, it was perfectly fine. Yeah. And, and so, so a lot of times I will tell my female students, like, don't feel like you have to be a man (laughs) to practice landscape design or to lead a crew or whatever it might be. If, if you are a feminine person or a masculine person, whoever you are, be that person because don't be somebody else. And I'm really glad I discovered that on my own, but I feel like too many of us sometimes try to shift to what we think we should be. And um, of course my, my website is very feminine and that's probably why I do attract more women, but that's who I am. And, you know, I, I feel it's important to insert that femininity yeah. Did I say that right? <laughs> Into the profession, especially in the design build end of things, the mm-hmm. construction. I have some awesome students. I actually have one student particularly right now who's a female. And she is, she loves doing installations. Like we just were at the National Collegiate Landscape Competition in Mississippi for NALP, the National Association of Landscape Professionals. And you know, she loves doing the hardscape competition and she's awesome at it. And we had a all female team last year. And this year we had a, a male and a female, but I'm like, 
do your thing. And it's so awesome that to get more women, especially in the install end of things and to be who you are, you don't have to be somebody else, you know, which is really cool. I feel like a lot of times those judgments are self-inflicted anyways. Like we think it's coming from the outside, but it's really not. I agree with you. That's a great way of explaining it. I think you're right. I think if we just always just be comfortable with who we are and celebrate who we are, we're going to do awesome. I think that just creativity in itself sometimes is sometimes hard to kind of find your voice in that as well. Um, And I think it takes a lot of vulnerability. And I found that a lot of the teachers I had really did a, that I really enjoyed working with did a great job of like getting people out of their comfort zone and pushing them to really like be vulnerable and, and show that, that deep creative side instead of what's, what's expected, like what, you know, I'm doing this, I'm copying what this, what this graphic looks like, what this design looks like, because I know that that's being judged as good. So I want to do something that's also going to be judged as good instead of finding your own style. Right. And I think, I think a lot of that is if you can create that safe space, so students feel comfortable, you know, being who they are. And like you said, finding their own creativity and finding their own own way. I think it's awesome if you're lucky enough to have that space to be able to do that in. That's the positive. I mean, I find even professionals now that seem to have a hard time kind of, they'll, they'll show it a little bit and they'll be like, oh gosh, I'm going to like, I can't do that. Like I'll, I'll do this. And I'm like, no, go for it. Do it. So I think that that's, um, I think that's important, especially among, you know, just creatives in general, like having, having that platform and that, you know, whether it's, you know, your colleagues, your you know, mentors to really, you know, give you that space to encourage you to, to do that. And like you said, like with that, um, with that student you have that really wants to do, you know, the, the hardscape and things that, you know, has this, I don't know, a stipulation that it's typically male dominated. Like it, it doesn't have to be. Correct. Correct. And I think a lot of things too, on that pushing your boundaries and and trying to be cre- and being creative and being your own thing. I think a lot of that is too, is accepting the fact that we're going to fail. And I think too many of us are scared to fail or get criticized. So then we don't want to, we don't want to try something. And it's something that over the years that I've gotten better at, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. Cause if I, I need to know if I'm going to fail at this or not, so I can readjust and take a new path. So I would always encourage people to do that because let's just try something. Who cares if somebody doesn't like it? They didn't like it or it didn't work. Who cares? Now we know, like that's the only way you're going to learn, right? So we can now explore something else, but it might be awesome. And we can't know that unless like you said, we're vulnerable and explore new things. And even if we don't have a safe environment to do it in, to be brave enough to just try it anyway. Yeah, And that's okay. Well, and like you said, like you, you learn so much more from failures than you ever do from success. And I found that, especially in my business, I've had the greatest innovations that have like done a lot for me by taking bad experiences and being like, well, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) And now you can write a book. (laughs) Like you can't write that book without having all these, you know, mess ups and failures and be like, I already tried that. So I'm going to, this is what worked for me, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. For sure. I hope you enjoyed the first segment of my conversation with Lisa Noonmaker. Stay tuned for the next segment. But before I let you go, I just want to highlight a couple things that Lisa said that I thought were really great. One of those was learning by surrounding yourself with people with unique perspectives. I love that idea and I think it's great. And I think that it's something that I personally don't do enough. And then really focusing on empowering designers. And I love her thoughts around this. And I loved our discussion about really pushing people to be more vulnerable and expressing themselves. And I really like her take on segmenting things down into bite-sized chunks so that you can build your confidence and build your knowledge without being overwhelmed or causing fear to set in that you can't do everything all at once. So keep those things in mind. Again, please reach out to both Lisa or I with any questions or any thoughts. Uh, We'd love to hear what you thought about the conversation and please stay tuned for segment two. To wrap up, I want to thank you for your time. I hope the ideas discussed today have left you feeling excited and energized. As I build both my business and my life, I value the support and feedback you provide. I would love for you to reach out to me to let me know what you think, give me ideas, or just to connect. Please don't forget to subscribe and also share with a friend. Until next time, go create something wonderful.